and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon the tables, that he may run that readeth it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it. Because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by, now watch the wording, his faith. Father, would you speak in this place tonight for your glory, in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, Amen. Well, if you remember this morning, we looked at verse 1, and we saw this morning through the prophet Habakkuk, what it really looks like to watch and to wait. And so when you know what it, what it means to watch and wait, and you know what it looks like lived out, which what we saw this morning, then you understand that you're ready to receive and ready to respond to whatever God has to say. So Habakkuk has climbed up into the watchtower. He's been watching, but he's been waiting. And in verse 2, and here's what I said this morning, we do not know how much time has passed since verse 1. We don't know how long Habakkuk has been watching and waiting. We don't know how long he has been waiting for God to speak. But in verse 2, however long it was, God spoke. And now as Habakkuk had anticipated and expected in verse 1, when he said, He will say unto me. Can I tell you? God has said. And now all of Habakkuk's waiting has now come to fruition. And now God is answering Habakkuk's complaint from the end of chapter number 1. And I want you to remember the last thing Habakkuk said in chapter 1, if you remember, remember he's given the analogy of being caught in a fishnet. And he said in the end of chapter 1, in verse 17, he said, Shall they therefore empty their net and not spare continually to sway the nation? In other words, Habakkuk said, If you're going to send the Chaldeans against us, and we're going to be like a fish caught in their net, God, are you just going to let it go on and on until we're totally destroyed? Well, God's going to answer that for him right here. And so what we find in verse 2 is the answer of the Lord. And so it says, And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision. Now, here's the thing. As you and I are patiently waiting upon the Lord, remember what I said this morning, waiting upon the Lord is not passivity. Waiting upon the Lord is still being active in what you know to do. I'll say it to you this way. People come to me all the time and say, Preacher, I don't know what God wants me to do. Here's what I tell them. Until God tells you, do what you already know. 
A lot of people just want to stop and do nothing. But you do what you already know until God says something else. And so Habakkuk was diligent in watching upon the watchtower, and in his patience, and in his waiting, and in his trust, God answered him. Now, isn't it good when God confirms to you what you're trusting him for? And this is what happened with Habakkuk. Now, remember, Habakkuk in verse 1, he didn't know how God was going to answer it. Matter of fact, he thought maybe God was going to reprove him a little bit. But yet, God answers him, and I want you to see what God says. Notice he gives him an admonition, the admonition of the Lord. He said, write the vision, make it plain upon the tables, that he may run that reads it. So here's what he says. He said, what I'm about to tell you, I want you to write. I want you to write so it'll be for every generation to come after, and I want you to write it plain and simple that every generation will know what it's saying. And he said, I want you to write it in such a way that when it's posted... Now, in that day, here's what he would be talking about. He would write it up on tables of stone. They would post the tables of stone in one point in the city. And in that place of the city, when people would come by and read it, the picture is, when they read it, they would have a sense of urgency about it, and they would run to not only tell others about it, but also to run into obedience to it. And so in other words, he said, listen, Habakkuk, I'm going to give you a word. I'm going to give you an explanation of what I said to you in chapter 1. And I want you to understand, I see the Chaldeans as you see the Chaldeans. I'm going to deal with the Chaldeans, but I'm also going to deal with Judah. And at the same time, I'm going to do a work that's going to blow your ever-loving mind. I want you to write everything I say down. I want you to post it in the city. Generation after generation will know about it. And not only that, but when they read it and hear it, they'll run to obey, they'll run to warn others. Does that sound like the gospel to you? This is what he is saying. And so the admonition that Habakkuk was under here was concerning this word. Because remember what I said this morning. A prophet was called to reveal and to warn the people of what God says to him. And so now Habakkuk didn't have anything to announce in verse 1. Now he's going to have plenty to announce starting in verse 2. And so now Habakkuk can now have the revelation of God to speak. And I said this this morning, I want to repeat it tonight. The best lesson you can ever learn, and the lesson that God's trying to teach me so many times, is don't speak until you've been spoken to. And I'm talking about from the Lord. And so Habakkuk is going to get this vision. He's going to write it on tables, and he's going to, it's going to cause a sense of urgency within the people. Now, notice the appointment of the Lord. So here's the way God begins this vision. He said, for the vision is yet for an appointed time. In other words, Habakkuk, I'm going to give you a revelation to what I'm going to do. But I'm not going to tell you when I'm going to do it. But yet God has an appointed time when he's going to bring it about. And only God knows when he's going to bring it about. So where does that leave Habakkuk? Well, now he doesn't have to wait for a word. He's getting a word. But now he's going to have to learn from 
what it was like to watch and wait. And now he's going to have to watch and wait until God brings this promise to fruition. Because here's what you're going to learn in the Christian life. The Christian life goes from one watching and waiting to another, to another, to another. God will answer one, and guess what? There's something else you're going to have to watch and wait with. And so here's Habakkuk. He gets a word, and he says, but listen, I'm telling you right now, Habakkuk, this is for an appointed time. Now listen to what I'm about to say. If God spoke to your heart about an issue, and you've been praying, and you've been trusting Him, and you've been waiting and waiting and being still and knowing He is God, and all of those things are taking place in your life. And finally, one day, at the appointed time that God deems to be perfect, God brings it about, here's what happens, we rejoice. But in the meantime, how many of us get discouraged? Because we've waited so long. But can I tell you something? One of the things that this passage just, I mean, just screams is God knows what is best. And God knows when is best. There are many times when you and I praying for a lost person or a family member or friend or coworker or whoever it may be. And we see God working in their lives and we see God trying to bring them to a place of new birth. We see God working in their circumstances. We see God working in desperation in them. And we wonder, well, God, when are you not going to bring this to fruition? When, when are you not going to get this person to the end of themselves? But here's what you and I need to understand. God knows. God knows when's the appropriate time. A lot of times, and this is what troubles me in ministry today, what troubles me in ministry today is we try to pick the fruit too green. In other words, God hadn't got them to the end of themselves yet. And yet we try to give them some formula where they can, they can have some type of insurance that they're saved and God hasn't got them lost yet. I want to tell you something, folks. God don't work the way man works. God don't think the way man thinks. And God don't work on man's timetable. I mean, think about it. You, you in here tonight, when God saved you, what all God have to do to get you to that place? I mean, some of you folks in here, listen, I had conversations with you before God saved you. I had conversations with you where you warred and battled and struggled and prayed and cried out to God, God, show me my heart. And I saw, I told many of you this, that you had those conversations with in this very room. Listen, God's got you in a good place. Just hang on. And I saw what God was doing. I couldn't tell you what God was doing, but it clear to me what God was doing, and then at the appointed time that God had for you, God brought you to himself. That's how God works. So, Habakkuk, listen, the Lord says, just wait. At an appointed time, at my sovereign specific time, I will work. Now notice nextly the assurance of the Lord. Watch what he says here, because now this is going to get really fun. 
in just a second. Are y'all ready? Say amen. It says, but at the end, it shall speak and not lie. So in other words, when I bring this about, Habakkuk, when I fulfill everything that I'm going to lay out to you, he said, here's what's going to happen. It's going to be the proving of the message. In other words, Israel and Judah will be able to stand back at the end of it all and say, my, what a God we serve. Now, are they going to understand when the Chaldeans and the Babylonians come and take them out of the land and take them to a, a strange land? They're not going to understand that. Are they going to understand when they're having to be in Babylonian captivity instead of being in Jerusalem? They're not going to understand that. But when they come to a place of repentance and God raises up another deliverer and God brings them out of captivity and brings them back to the land and they look back and they see the faithfulness of God through every aspect of what took place, then they're going to say and then they're going to realize, God, thank you. For how you dealt with us. See, a lot of times when we go in through correction in our life, or chastisement in our life, conviction in our life, we sing these song, this song, sweet, sweet Holy Spirit. I got news for you. Sometimes he's not very sweet. Are y'all hearing me? Sometimes it hurts. But when we go through those times, we look and, and, and we, we, we don't understand that when we get through them, when we get to the other side of them, here's what God did. He proved His message to us. And He proved His faithfulness to us. Because I'm sure when, when this took place in Israel's history, that Israel fought. Matter of fact, Israel said multiple times in Isaiah, he said, God, you forgot about us. You've forsaken us. God hadn't forsaken them. Matter of fact, God was doing a work in them. And when it all comes about, here's what he, he says. But at the end, it shall speak, and it will not lie. The proving of the message. But now here's the hard part. The patience in the message. Watch what he says. Though it tarry, wait for it. Y'all have heard that old saying. Wait for it. Wait for it. I mean, this is what he's saying. He said, though it tarries, wait for it. Because it will surely come, and it will not tarry. So in other words, Habakkuk, what I'm about to tell you, and what I've already told you, it may be some time passed before it comes to fruition, but you rank it, you write it down, it is coming. Now, let me show you how this translates for you and I in, in the New Testament. Because this verse, verse 3, is quoted, or the end of this verse is quoted in Hebrews chapter 10. Now look at Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 36 and 38. The writer of Hebrews quotes this verse but changes one word to apply it to the church. Notice what he says. Verse 36, For you have need of patience, that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he shall come 
that will come and will not tarry. Now, look back at verse 3. It says, though it tarry, wait for it, because it shall surely come. It will not tarry. But look at Hebrews 10. For a little, yet a little while, he shall come, will come, and won't tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure with him. So here's how the writer of Hebrews applies this passage in Habakkuk to you and I. In other words, there's coming a day. Listen, have we agreed today? We're in a foreign land. And Judah was about to be taken into a foreign land. And listen, we're living in a day where God, I believe, is starting to pour out His judgment upon this country and upon this world. But can I tell you, what God's doing now is only, listen, the hem of the garment of what's coming. But yet God is going to fulfill His judgment upon this world. And listen to me, but yet at the same time, God's going to deliver the church. And when God delivers the church, you and I will understand that even though we're going through what we're going through in this world today, and we're going through what we're going through with our flesh and with sin and everything else, there's coming a day that, guess what? He's surely going to come. He's really going to come. And it won't be an it, it'll be a he. And when he comes, he'll take the church, and we will no longer be in a strange land. He's going to take us to his land. He's going to take us to his residence. He's going to take us to his place. And guess what? We're going to look back and we're going to say, Hey, God, everything you said, everything I hope for. It's exactly what you said. Amen. And he's going to prove his message. But we still have to wait for it. And I said this morning, isn't the hardest thing that you and I do is wait. And so what you find here is the patience. So let's apply this to Judah here, which is the context. Here's what he's saying. He said, you're going to get discouraged when I allow the Babylonians to come against you, the Chaldeans. But wait for it. Wait for it. Because here's the reality. God never, ever leaves his children without hope. Wait for it. I'm doing a work. And all you got to do is just trust me. And I'm doing a work. Folks, listen. I don't have a clue what some of you guys are going through. Some of you folks, I know some things you're going through. Some of you, I don't have a clue what you're going through. And I know many times you and I can go through things and they can seem awful confusing to us. But here's what I'm trying to tell you if you're a child of God. God never, ever leaves you without hope. Wait for it. Because there's going to come a day when you're going to look back and you're going to see the hand of God was all over it from the start. Wait for it. Well, so you see the answer of the Lord, the admonition of the Lord, the appointment of the Lord, the assurance of the Lord. Look at the accusation of the Lord. Verse 4, and I'm going to be honest with you folks. To really have done this justice, I probably should have just done verse 4 in a separate message. 
But this is the way I felt led. He says, behold. Now here he's telling Habakkuk. Now remember Habakkuk's complaint. He said, God, you can't use the Chaldeans. They're wicked people. You can't use them against us. We're more righteous than they are. How can you use them? Remember the complaint in the end of chapter 1? All right, you remember all this started with behold. You remember after, after Habakkuk in verse 1 through 4, remember when Habakkuk said, God, you, 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 you're, you're acting indifferent. Judah's sinning and you're not doing anything. You're not lifting a hand to save us from this. And what was the first words the Lord said? Look around. Behold. Well, guess what God says again? Behold. Because Habakkuk says, God, do you not see the Chaldeans' wickedness? Oh, listen. Notice what God said. Oh, Habakkuk, I see it. I want you to see it. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him. So this is the accusation that God makes towards the Chaldeans. Now, notice the wording he used. Behold, his soul which is lifted up. Now, remember, his soul speaks of what? His mind, emotion, and will. So here's what he's dealing with. That is emotions, the emotions of the prideful. In other words, his emotions are consumed with self and with pride. Let me tell you something. The greatest way the enemy can get you is hook you in your emotions. Because here's the reality. Matter of fact, a lot of churches today are started with the motivation and with the mindset. If we can make it emotional enough, we'll garner a crowd. By the way, God never called us to build a crowd. Now, I'm praying God adds to the church daily such as be saved. Y'all say amen. But listen. Here's one thing I learned a long time ago. Find anywhere in the Scripture it says how many the church of Colossae ran. The church of Ephesus. The church of Philippi. God's not interested in a crowd. But here's what God is interested in. He's interested in those that will yield to Him in, in faith and surrender, whereby He has access to them, and as He has access to them, He can do in them and through them whatever He chooses to do. That's what God's interested in. But here's what he says. He says their soul is lifted up. And so what churches today and what ministries today are trying to do is they're trying to get people stirred in their emotions because if they get them stirred in their emotions, they can hook them. You say, preacher, I don't believe that. All right, let me prove it to you. As you're sitting here, how many of y'all like at least one type of sporting event? Would you raise your hand? Okay. So whatever sporting event you like, when you watch it, your team scores a touchdown. Your team hits a home run. Your favorite racer wins a race. Your favorite tennis player wins Wimbledon. Your favorite golfer wins the U.S. Open. But yet each moment that you're watching, it's touch and go. Are you telling me that you don't get emotionally involved in that? Matter of fact, I guarantee you, some of you just show out 
Y'all say amen. Hey, if you don't believe me, go, go down to the local YMCA when they're having Little League Baseball and you see how parents and grandparents act when some umpire that somebody's dad stand behind the plate calls a strike on their son when their son hadn't hit the ball in 15 years and he calls a strike on that son, you hear what he says about that umpire. Y'all say amen. You say, what are you talking about? I'm saying what happens is you get captured in your emotions. And so here's what God's saying to Habakkuk about the Chaldeans. He said, there's going to be a contrast between you and between those that are walking by faith. Those that of, of the Chaldeans, their soul is lifted up. Their emotions are prideful. But not only are their emotions prideful, but the elevation of the prideful. Lifted up. Here's what it means to be swollen. Now, remember, remember the Chaldeans, what we looked in chapter 1. Here's the thing. They began to worship the things they used to take Judah into captivity. In other words, instead of worshiping, they made gods out of their war machine. Their soul was lifted up. It was puffed up. And they were blind to even the understanding that there was a true God of Israel. And they lived on their emotions, and they lived on their own pride, and they lived on their own puffing up, and they lived in a realm whereby they were swollen. And I want you to listen to what I'm about to say. The source of every single sin that you and I will ever commit is pride. You'll never commit a sin in your lifetime that pride wasn't the essence of it. So here's what happens. A lot of people have faith in their faith instead of faith in a person. And a lot of people worship their humility instead of seeing that they're prideful. You say, how is every sin pride? Because any time that I sin, I am choosing my self over the Lord. That's pride. You see, when I choose my way over His way, here's what I'm doing from a practical standpoint. I am dethroning God and enthroning myself. What was the pride of Lucifer? Isaiah 14. I will lift myself above the throne of the Most High God. I think it's, don't quote me on this because I'm doing this off the cuff, but I think it's 13 times he uses the word I there. I will, I will. Can I tell you something? That's the root of every single sin in our life. And here's what God says to Habakkuk. He said, listen, Habakkuk. He said, their soul is going to be lifted up. And so what you have is the emotion of the prideful, the valuation or the elevation of the prideful, and then the valuation of the prideful. Notice what he says here in verse 4, and is not upright in his way. What does this word upright mean? It means he's crooked. 
And I don't mean crooked like a thief. I mean crooked like in his heart. In other words, he thinks crookedly. He, 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 his emotions are crooked. His, his feelings are crooked. His will is crooked. In other words, he acts and feels and thinks crookedly. And he said, this is what I see of the ones that I'm using against Judah. By the way, isn't some of this true of Judah as well? And so God says here, he said, listen, this is the evaluation I put upon him. But now watch, watch this. Watch the last thing, the application of the Lord. Because now God makes an application to Habakkuk. He says, but. How many agree when you see the word but, there's a contrast, a change taking place? Now watch what he says. But the just might live by faith. What does it say? Shall, will. All right, so now. So here's the application. You got two things here. You have the position of the just. When it says the just, here's what he's referring to. He's referring first to the position of being justified. How many agree you can't be just in your living till you're justified before God? All right, now, so, so what took place for you to be justified? Well, here's what people say. He said, people say, well, I'm saved by faith. No, you're saved by Christ. But did you need faith to be saved? All right, so if you needed faith to be saved, but it was Christ to save you, were you saved by faith or were you saved by Christ? All right, here's what I'm trying to tell you. Faith was the avenue whereby God saved you. But it wasn't the faith that saved you, it was God that saved you. But God had determined to allow faith to be the road through which God would use to prick your heart and save your soul. Let me give you an illustration. Ron Lynch gave me this illustration. I was talking to him about this passage. He gave me this illustration, so I want to give credit where credit's due. But Ron Lynch gave me this illustration. I thought it was awesome. All right, so you have a disease. The doctor examines you, and the doctor makes a diagnosis about you. And the doctor says of you, now, this is the disease. Here is a medication that will absolutely take care of the disease, but you must take the medication. So you take the medication as the doctor prescribes. All right, now, was it you taking the medication that cured you of the disease, or was it the medication that cured you of the disease? Are y'all hearing me say amen? In other words, it was the medication that cured you, but yet you had to take the medication. So in other words, what God made you just, God had to give you faith to trust Him. And when God gave you the faith to trust Him, God also allowed you to have in your own self the will to exercise that faith which God gave you. Because listen, you couldn't have been saved unless God gave you the faith. But yet you had to respond. So when you responded with what God gave you, God traveled the road of the faith that He gave you, and He saved you, and He made you just who were unjust, and He made you righteous who were unrighteous. Isn't God good? Now, that's the positional aspect. But notice what it says. The just 
shall or will live by faith. So in other words, if you've been justified positionally, then practically you're going to practice who you are. So in other words, if I've been justified, that's my position, the practice of my life is going to be in conjunction with my position of being justified before God. So here's what he does. He says, now listen. He said, when God works the work of justice in you, and God redeems you, and God saves you, he said, you're going to practice it. Song of Solomon says it this right. The upright, chapter 1, verse 4, the upright love thee. Isaiah 26, 7, the way of the just is uprightness. Thou must most upright dost weigh the path of the just. So here's what it's saying. What does it mean, the practice of the just? Here's what it means. Number one, it's a continuous walk of faith. Because in the Hebrew here, the just shall live and continue to live and continue to live and continue to live and continue to live by his faith. So in other words, it's a continuous walk of faith. Faith in God was the key to consistent living. And so every day of your life, did it take the grace of God to save you? All right? Did the grace of God that saved you the same grace that causes you to live. All right, but yet, does the grace of God work without faith? No. Grace through what? In other words, grace, who is a person, Christ, grace, who is a person, Christ, traveled through faith. Well, guess how the Christian life is lived? Grace, the person of Christ, in you, through the faith that God gave you. That's the reason Galatians 2.20 says, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, but not I, but Christ lives in me, and the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Not in the Son of God, of the Son of God. So guess what? It's a continuous walk of faith. So here's what he tells Habakkuk. He said, Habakkuk, you got to wait. I'm going to fulfill everything I said, but you got to wait. But Habakkuk, just like you trusted me in verse 1, that I will say unto you, I need you to trust me. And moment by moment, day by day, walk in a continuous lifestyle of faith. But not only is it a continuous walk of faith, it's a conscious walk of faith. What do you mean a conscious walk of faith? Listen, you and I are not going to walk in faith. If we're not conscious of several things, if you're not conscious of the presence of God, you'll never walk in faith. If you're not conscious of the provisions of God, the promises of God, if you're not conscious of the power of God, the providence of God, listen, you'll never ever walk by faith. But when you're conscious of God in your life and what all He's provided for you, you'll walk by faith. Manly Beasley said it years ago. The greatest need in the church in America, this was years ago, mainly Speasley said is to know who they became when they became a child of God. Because most people don't know what they received when God saved them, so they don't know what they're trusting God for. But when you know what God done for you, and you know who God is in you, and you know what God's provided for you, and you become conscious of those things, then all of a sudden, guess what? You can now began to trust him in what he has done and what he has said and what he has provided. And so the just, not might, 
but will live by his faith. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you people do you know today that says, I'm a Christian? So here's what they're saying. I've been justified. I'm just. So let me ask you a question. How many of those people do you know today that claim to be a Christian? That the practice of their life is diametrically opposite of what they say their position is. So here's the reality. Either they lied or God lied. I'm going to choose God. See, we always want to think the best of everybody. But here's the reality. It's not to think the worst of people. It's to think biblically about people. Because this, listen, you say, well, this is an Old Testament. You can't apply this. Hey, it's quoted three times in the New Testament. You say, where else is it quoted? Y'all ask some good questions. I already read one of them in Hebrews 10. Let me read the other. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. Here's what Paul said. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. You say, where else? Galatians chapter 3, verse 11. It says, but no man is justified by law in the sight of God. It is evident. For the just shall live by what? A conscious walk, a continuous walk. Here's the last thing, a contrasting walk. Now let's look at verse 4 in its totality. Behold his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but contrast, the just shall live by his faith. Now, I I want to interpret this his faith. For the New Testament believer, We live by the faith of the indwelling Son of God. Would you agree with that? Say amen. All right, listen. But yet in this context, it's talking about the just person's faith. Now you say, well, how do you know that? All right, number one, the word his if you look it up in the, in the Hebrew, the word his is emphatic to the just. But now, don't let that confuse you, because guess what? God gives you the faith, but you must exercise the faith God gives you. And then when you live by that faith, you're living by his faith, even though you exercise that faith. But the just will live by his faith. In contrast to that one whose soul is lifted up, whose soul is puffed up, that person's upright. But the just shall live by faith. So now let me bring us all to a conclusion. So what was God saying to Habakkuk here? He said, Habakkuk, he said, I'm going to lay out to you How I view the Chaldeans, what I'm going to do, I'm going to lay it out to you. I'm going to answer your prayer. But I'm telling you right now, I've got an appointed time when this is going to take place. And I've got an appointed time when I'll bring Israel back out of captivity and back into the land of Israel. 
And in the midst of all that, you're going to have to trust me. And you're going to have to continue to wait. But you need to learn one thing. If you're just and not puffed up, you will live by faith. You'll trust me that I'm in control. And that I've always been in control. And that I've never been out of control. It is so easy for us, so easy for me. How many of y'all have just had times in your life you just got overwhelmed? You just flat got overwhelmed. How many of you would all agree with me that when those times came, your focus got shifted away from the character and nature of God? And you began to think in the realm of the what is. You began to think in the realm of the negative instead of the truth of what God has said and who God is. When those times come, listen to me, folks. Always remind yourself of who God is. For the just will live by faith. You may have moments, you may have seasons of your life. But I want you to hear me. God has an unbelievable way of bringing His children back to the center. Can I tell you? He's always in the center. The just shall live by faith. Does the things going on in this world today disturb you? Burdens me. Are y'all with me? Say amen. But can I tell you something? There's an appointed time where God's going to say to his son, son, that's it. Go get your bride. And when that day comes, can I ask you a question? Was the walk of faith, the waiting and watching of faith. Will we look back and say, God, let me ask you a question. Do you really think when we meet the Lord in the air, do you really think the first question we're going to say to him or a question would even come to our mind is, what took you so long? I promise you, it won't even cross your mind. Y'all say amen. But here's what will cross your mind. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. You and I have a blessed hope. And by that blessed hope, you have an assurance whereby you can continue to walk by faith. When you don't understand what God's doing, you don't understand why God's doing what He's doing, you don't understand why things are happening in your life the way they're happening, here's the one thing you can bank on. God 
is faithful. And if you're saved, he's giving you his faith to live by. What else could he do? Father, I stand amazed. Father, just the thought that you'd save us blows my mind. Just the thought that you knew everything about us and yet would go to a cross and die in our place is beyond my comprehension. But Father, to know that you didn't just save us, you didn't just redeem us, but you live in us to live through us. And the love that we have is your love. The faith we have is your faith. The power we have is your power. The desire we have is your desire. The mind that we have is your mind. That's amazing to me. But Father, I wonder who in here today, their soul's puffed up. Because in their deception, they've convinced themselves they can live their life on their terms. And they're not living by your faith. Father, I may pray tonight that you'd make the crooked straight tonight. You'd make those that are not upright, upright tonight. Father, for those that are just, those that have been justified. Father, would you show us any areas of our life where your just righteousness is not being lived out. Or maybe there's areas of our life where we just have to admit there's areas of unbelief. There's worries. There's doubts. And maybe tonight you've just reminded us that you've provided everything for us when you saved us that we, the just, could live by your faith. And Father, what you do tonight, I'll thank you. And I'll praise you in Jesus' name. And all God's children said.